Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. having a good summer so far. We're like right in the middle of the summer. I don't want to think about it being over, but uh, we are in the middle and we are having a great time. How many of you guys have traveled? Anyone traveled here? Or a few people traveled? Jersey Shore? Yeah, maybe. Nice. Cool. Well, I'm excited to be here. Um, uh, I just want to share with you uh, a little story. I remember when I was a kid, uh, I played Little League Baseball, and I think I shared some of this with you before. And I was about to go into Little League Baseball, but at first I was a little nervous because I didn't have much experience. You know, all the other kids, they had played in t-ball before that, so they gained experience, and, and I was coming into it maybe like third grade, so I was a little nervous. And on top of that, I didn't even know if I would have a ride to the game because my grandparents, they didn't know how to drive, and, and my parents, they, they worked in the city. But thankfully, there was a coach, the coach of our team. This guy, who was my friend's dad, offered to give me a ride to every single game and every single practice. And I couldn't believe it because although to me it seemed like it would be somewhat of an inconvenience, it wasn't on his part. They drove out of the way. They lived in Congress. I lived in Valley Cottage. They, they drove out of the way every single week to pick me up, to take me to the game, and to bring me back. It was amazing. You know, his act of kindness allowed me to experience what it was like to be on a team. It allowed me to gain skills. It allowed me to have experience. It allowed me to actually get good at the game. And it also allowed me to enjoy playing baseball. What his kindness did is it unlocked a wonderful experience that I will never forget as a child. His kindness opened up a door for God to bless a very important part of my life and for my childhood. This summer, we've been in a summer sermon series called The Fruit of the Spirit. Who's been enjoying it so far? Right? We have been having a good time going through these. We've been learning about the different fruits of the Spirit. And we're asking ourselves, we're learning, how do we, as followers of Jesus, stay connected to the vine, stay connected to Jesus, to the source, our source of life? And when we are connected to him, he changes us, and he changes us from the inside out. And it's amazing to, to see that happen. Our nature changes to become like his nature. And today what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at the fruit of the Spirit, kindness, and how we live that out, how kindness opens a door for God's blessing in the lives of people around us. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 25. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 25. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, 
goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed their passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So the, the word here for kindness, the Greek word for kindness is known as krestotes, which means kindness or, or goodness that meets certain needs. A kindness or, or goodness that meets a certain need or, or tenderheartedness. A goodness that has the ability to outlast and act despite the, the harsh circumstances that are around it. What it essentially means is goodness in action. Goodness in action. The parable of the Good Samaritan helps illustrate what this idea of kindness is really all about. So let's look at Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you, how do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this, and you will live. The man wanted to justify his action, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. The man, now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. So what's going on here? In this passage, we see Jesus being confronted by this religious expert of the law who asks him this question. And to answer the question, what he does is he shares this parable about a Jewish man who is traveling down the road from Jerusalem all the way to Jericho. It says that he was traveling down. This journey from Jerusalem to Jericho was 17 miles long, and it was a downhill journey through the hills. It was well known to the audience at the time as a very lonely 
and treacherous road with so many caves and so many rocky cliffs and, and, and turns. And, and, and this trip went down 3,000 feet in elevation, starting with the Mediterranean rainy climate in Jerusalem to a desert climate in a very short period of time. This road was, was used for pilgrims and for military and caravans that were traveling back and forth. And the audience knew that oftentimes bandits would hide out in these cliffs and, and, and wait for lonely travelers to come so they can attack them if they were unguarded. And in this story, the bandits brutally attacked this Jewish man. They stripped him, they beat him, and they left him half dead. So what, what's going on? What, what's happening here? So first, we have a priest that walks by. Who are the priests? What were their role? The role of the priest was to serve the, the most important function in the temple of Jerusalem, which was to conduct sacrifices, to do these ceremonial duties and conduct sacrifices for the forgiveness on behalf of the people that needed forgiveness and sacrifices made. Next, there's a temple assistant that comes by, or a Levite. And his job was to help the priests do their day-to-day -day ceremonies and, and rituals, and, and they were kind of the helper. And then lastly, we have the Samaritan. Now, who were the Samaritans? The Samaritans and the, and the Jewish people at the time, they were enemies. The Samaritan people were, were, those, were, were people that the Jewish people did not consider to be 100% full-blooded Jewish. They were a mix of Jewish people that had been left in the land during exile and had, were mixed with, with other foreigners that had come to repopulate that region, and they created this new group of people with a mixed background. Now, both the Samaritans and the Jewish people, they both claimed to have direct heritage to the, to the people, the actual people of Israel. They, they, they claimed that, that they were the true people. So there was often discrimination and, and hatred towards each other. So this is the background of what the audience is seeing as they are listening to this story. So what are some lessons that we can learn from this parable about kindness? And the first is this. To love God is to love others. To love God is to love others. So this religious expert goes head-to-head -head with Jesus. It was like they were bringing out their very best, bringing out the big guns to encounter Jesus. And he asked Jesus, how should I have eternal life? Jesus responds by asking, what does the law of Moses say? And the expert responds, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you are familiar with the Old Testament, you know that, that this, this expert is referring and alluding to Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18. By him demonstrating this knowledge, it was alluding to the fact, it was implied that there was already a link between these two passages. There was already a link with the idea of loving God and loving your neighbors. We know that Jesus also shares this in Matthew 22, 
37. And this expert, in an attempt to regain control of this conversation, asks Jesus for a clarification. And he asks, so who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? But then what Jesus does is, is, is he so expertly turns the conversation around, turns the table around, and puts the question back on the individual and back on the audience, alluding that the real question isn't, who is my neighbor, but rather, do I behave as a neighbor would? The expert had to ask himself, and he had to think to himself, if I don't behave as a neighbor then it brings into question, do I really love God as much as I think? So in this parable, we first have the priest. The priest was assumed to be the the most important religious person. He's a person that you would think that supposedly loved God the most. But what he did was that he crossed over to the other side. Why? Why? Maybe he thought there was a trap. Maybe he didn't want to put himself at risk. Maybe he didn't want to to be ritually defiled by by touching a a potentially dead body because in that culture, if you did that, then you would be unclean for seven days until you went through another ritual. Maybe he didn't want to be inconvenienced. Now, we don't know because this is is a parable, but these are some of the, the things that the audience would be thinking. Next, the temple assistant or, or the Levite comes down the road. Now, you might think, well, well, hey, this guy is the temple assistant. He's the worker bee. The, the priest is a, you know, a high-class person. He doesn't get his hands dirty. But this guy is a guy that gets his hands dirty. Surely he will intervene. Surely he will make something happen. And he at least walked over to investigate what was going on. But maybe he also ran into some what-if scenarios. What if there's a risk? What if there's a safety concern? What if there's an inconvenience? And then ultimately, he also walks away. Now, these guys were the professional religious people. They were the ones that were supposed to intervene in this situation. But they didn't. You know, we can't simply love God with all our heart, with all our soul, and all our mind, and not love others. You know, when we love God, it's a vertical relationship, our, our, our love to God. And when we love others, it's, it's a horizontal relationship, kind of that forms a cross. There is a correlation between loving God and loving others. How many of you out there know a supposedly strong Christian person or someone that, that, that claims to be a follower of God and, and loves the Lord, but when you, you know, you know that person, but they don't seem to like people? Anyone know that? Someone like, hey, they, you know, they love the Lord, but they're not really a people person at all. So they're like, ah, I'm not, not a people person. Now, I know we are all, you know, a work in progress and God is, is working in our hearts, But to the unassuming person, just looking in from the outside and seeing a person like that, they may be turned off to God. Why? Because when they see someone that loves God and represents him, but does not treat them or others with kindness, 
It's confusing. They might say, wow, this person claims to be in love with Jesus. They wear a cross around their neck, speaking and representing God's love for them, but yet they treat people poorly. A false bill of goods. You know, similar to the Samaritans in that time and in that age, one of the, one of the uh, groups of people in, right now in the United States that are often considered the, the outcasts are the Native American community. A few years ago, we took a mission trip to the Native American community in, in Montana. And some of them had shared with us their history. And they talked about how many years ago, there were some people that had come there that had claimed to be Christian and claimed to love God, but they committed different crimes and violence against them. Not all of them, but, but some. And when you hear that, it makes you wonder, did those people really love God in the first place? So when we were there, we took extra effort to show God's kindness and love. If you were a follower of Jesus, uh, maybe in the, in the 1990s, uh, there, there, was a, there was a famous author named Brennan Manning. Does anyone remember him? There's an author named Brennan Manning. And uh, there was this quote at that time that was kind of popular, and it was in, in uh, a DC Talk album and, and some other things. And it says that, he says that the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips walk out the door, and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Ask yourself the question, is there a direct correlation between my love for God and my love for God's people? Not just a love that sits in your heart, but a love that goes out and takes action. Does my love for God mirror my love for people? Do the people who know that I'm a follower of Jesus in my workplace, in my neighborhood, or my family see that I am obedient to Jesus in how I treat them and others? So what does kindness really mean? What is the defining characteristic of, uh, of this kind of kindness? So first we said to love God is to also love others. And the defining work, the defining characteristic of, of kindness is this. Kindness is inconvenient. Kindness is inconvenient. Who knows what I'm talking about? You know, sometimes it is inconvenient. So next in this passage, all of a sudden, a Samaritan comes by. Now, at this point in the parable, the audience who's listening to this, they would not have expected a Samaritan in the story. The next person they would have assumed would be to be a Jewish layperson. You know, going down the ranks, you know, first, uh, first they thought, okay, first it's a high-class uh, priest, then it would be a, uh, a temple assistant, and then they would just assume that the next person would just be a Jewish, you know, layperson, an average person. But no, it says that it was a despised Samaritan. So as soon as you think that, as soon as the audience heard that, what they would have been thinking is that, is that oh my gosh, it's a bad guy. Now there's a bad guy in the story. He's going to come and do something bad. He's going to probably come and finish off 
the man who's on the side of the road. This was an opportunity for the Samaritan to get back at his enemy while he was at a vulnerable stage. But the Samaritan's response is totally unexpected and surprising. You know, in the Greek culture of that time, they, they believed in these stoic ideas that you should guard yourself from feeling drawn into the pain of others. You should guard yourself and protect yourself from getting emotionally attached to people that are around you because you don't want other people to affect who you are. But when he saw this man, mind you, who was his enemy, he felt compassion for him. He felt compassion, and he got down, and he got dirty, and he soothed his wounds with olive oil and, and wine. And these were things that were not cheap. These were things that were from his own personal inventory, and he bandaged them, and he put him on the donkey, and he walked himself. He was supposed to have this donkey to ride on, but he walked himself. He took him to an inn where he paid the innkeeper to take care of him, and he even left open a line of credit to pay for this man's expenses if the tab went over. His act of kindness and tenderheartedness was not an easy, convenient action. It was a big effort. It was an inconvenience for him. He put his personal safety on the line, and also he did not assume the worst in the person that was attacked. He didn't just think, hey, this person got into this mess on his own, so he's responsible for himself. No. The Samaritan, he delayed his trip to wherever he was going to go. He expended his, his own valuable resources to take care of him. And he provided for his future care. What the Samaritan did was he loved his neighbor as himself. How do we know that? Because he gave him the very, very best care, just as he, he would have done for himself or his own friends or his own family. Remember, there was no reward. There was no pat on the back. There was no pride. There was no one to give him encouragement. This man in his shoes was asking the question, he wasn't asking the question, what would happen to me if I help him? The question he was asking was, what will happen to him if I don't help and intervene? How many of you have ever had a job in your life? Like, a, you know, you're working in a place where you had a job where you had no idea what was going on. Like, you were just kind of faking it until you, you, you know, you made it. You had absolutely no idea. You were asked to do some tasks, and you were just kind of working. You had no idea what was going on, but, but you just pretended that you did. Um, I remember when I was in college, I was a pre-med student. Now, I wasn't geared for organic chemistry or any of these science classes. You know, these, these were, like, too hard for me, but I did it anyway. I was hoping that, you know, God would open the door for me to go to medical school and, you know, do all these other things. And in order to build my resume, I had to load it up. You know how you have to like stack your resume? I had to like stack my resume with all kinds of internships and volunteering and research and all these things like that. 
And somehow I got connected. I was in the city at the time. I got connected to this prestigious academic cancer research lab at a university hospital that was open to interns. And, and somehow I got accepted you know, to this role. And later I had found out that, uh, that the, the, the research person there was also a believer. And he saw that on my resume and you know, he, he felt compelled to, to help me. So I worked in this lab for two years, like in the summer, I had, you know, lab coats, and, you know, you know I, I had all these things, and, and, and true confessions, I had no idea what I was doing. I had absolutely no idea. I just kind of said yes to everything, and they're like, hey, do you know how to do this? I'm like, yeah, 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 so I kind of like yes to everything, and I was in this, you know, th this lab doing this, like, important, like, really important work, and um, you know, I, I just had a general idea what they were doing. What they were doing is genetically modifying the DNA of cancer cells and tumors to, to figure out how they can turn them on and off to deactivate them with different drugs. So it's this really like high-tech advanced stuff. And, and my day-to-day, -day, you know, I was wearing a lab coat, I had pipettes and dishes, and, and I had these, these menial tasks, but I would mess up most of the time <laughs> because I had no idea what's going on. And uh, I remember one day, I, you know, I was working, and I was using one of those pipettes that's used. It's a high-precision instrument used to, like, get fluids from one tube and put it in another thing. So I was working with that, and then I broke it by accident, right? So I broke this, and I was freaking out because it wasn't even my research person Guys, it was somebody else's that was, that was at the lab, and I was freaking out, and, and no one was there at the time, so I didn't know what to do. So I started to, to you know, you know, write a little note to whoever, you know, whoever, uh, you know, the, the other owner of it. So I wrote, hey, I'm sorry, I broke it. I looked in my pockets looking for, and I found 20 bucks, and I put 20 bucks in, hey, you could replace it, you know, with this, and, you know, just buy another one. And then I thought it was, I thought it was you know, it, it, was, it was all good. But then I just happened to go, go look at that, you know, instrument online. So I looked at it online, and the actual value for that was between three to six hundred dollars. <laughs> and I gave him a twenty, and then I was freaking out. And I was like, and I was sweating. I didn't, you know, in college, I, di I didn't have that much money. But luckily, you know, they had insurance, and they, you know, they were able to cover that. But me being there, I was more of a liability to this guy's. PhD level research. He had to pass his dissertation. He had to do all this, get all this data, which I was, you know, responsible for. And it was a major inconvenience for him. But he took me under his wing. He mentored me. He built my resume. He even put me as an author, as one of the authors on his cancer, his, his dissertation, cancer research article. So it, it's in one of, the major, one of the major cancer medical journals. So if you look it up online and look up my name, you might find it there, you know, somewhere at the end of some, some cancer research uh, journal for cutting-edge cutting edge research. I had no idea what was, you know, what was going on. But anyway, he took me under his wing. He even had his friend, who was this, this MD, PhD guy, get me an interview at, some, at a medical school in California, which I actually went to. It was the only interview I got, and it was because this guy, this guy wrote a, a great letter of recommendation, and I went there. Now, even though it wasn't God's plan for me to go to medical school, I guess God planned for me to, you know, to be a pastor, God used the kindness of others to bless me along the way. 
to have his hand of love and blessing on me throughout my life. The question I have for you is, do you remember a time in which you did not help another person because you were inconvenienced? A time in which you knew it would involve a risk on your part. A risk of being late to work. A risk of requiring your money or resources. A risk of, uh, of taking time away from your free time or your career. A time in which you felt a nudge, but you walked away. Now, don't worry. I don't bring this up to, to make you feel guilty. God doesn't want us to feel guilt or shame. But he gives us his Holy Spirit to speak to us and move us so we have an awareness of what the Father's heart is really like. Could you imagine that since we are followers of God, that he, right now, he could be bringing people our way? Could you believe that God's waiting to answer someone's prayer through our acts of kindness or concern for others? Remember, God was prepping Peter to help Cornelius. God was prepping Ananias to help Paul. Is there someone in your life that you need to extend kindness to in a way that you know is going to be inconvenient? Something that you know the Lord is calling you to, but you have been avoiding Maybe helping a co-worker by, by giving them some money. They're in a crisis. Maybe helping a neighbor by picking up their kids because they're, they're always late from work. Or visiting an elderly person who has no family around. Stepping into someone's life. So first, to love God is to love others. Second, kindness is inconvenient. And third, why are we called to extend kindness to others? Why are we called to extend this to the people around us? And it's because God has shown his kindness to us. Amen? You know, there are countless stories in the gospel of Jesus when he was heading a certain way or heading down a certain road, and he was stopped. There were countless stories of so many of the healings that took place was when he was going somewhere and he was stopped on his way and he stopped to intercede and he stopped to heal others. He placed others first. The centurion whose servant was ill, Jairus' daughter, the woman who had the issue with bleeding, blind Bartimaeus, the paralyzed man, the leopards, the lepers. And we can go on and on and on. You know, there's a saying, there is no instance in the gospel in which someone asked Jesus for healing and he denied them. He accepted them every single time. And, ulti and ultimately, we see the loving kindness of Jesus on the cross. Now, talk about inconvenience. You know, Philippians 2 says that he stepped down from heaven. He gave up his divine privileges and took on the humble position of a slave. Being born as a human, he humbled himself in obedience, dying on the cross for us. Romans 2, 4 says, Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? 
Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? In the book of Colossians, Paul talks to us about being people who are clothed with kindness. Being clothed with kindness. How do we begin? How do we begin living this life? How do we engage this life of kindness? You know, I'm so proud as, as a pastor because I do believe that, that our church and our community, our church community here, we are a church that actually lives this out. I've seen this, this individually in your lives. For many of you here, for individually in, in your own workplaces, in your neighborhoods, you strive to be the hands of Jesus. You strive to step out to help others around you. Collectively, as, as a church and as groups and missional communities, we've done this together. We've gone out and served in local organizations. We've gone out and served local charities. We've gone out and served in missions. And I just want to highlight one example uh, right now. Uh, for some of you know, there's a woman in our church, Grace, Grace here in Fran, who started a, a ministry called Hands of Hope. And they serve the homeless community in the population of, of Patterson. Every week, volunteers from some of our church groups, they, they go out together and they go out and serve. Twice a week, they set up a table. They provide food, over 350 meals, peanut butter, jelly sandwiches, clothes, gift cards, other essentials. And they engage others in conversation, building relationships. And no matter what the situation is that surrounds the, the client or the individual or, or how they got there in the first place, it doesn't matter. But we are called to meet everyone's immediate basic needs, which open up a door for God's blessing to reside on them. And I know that there are many others here that serve in different places, meeting basic needs all around you, whether in an organization or, or, or not just by yourself. What some people from the outside may think is an inconvenience turns into God's blessings for others and also themselves. You know, no one ever regrets serving others with kindness, right? I've never talked to anyone that said, hey, uh, I just served someone with kindness. I just changed their life. Uh, you know, I, I just regret it. It was what a waste of time. You never, you never hear that. You never hear that. So I want to invite the band to come up as, as we get prepared for the next song. And as we close, I want to challenge you and us as a church how do we take action? How do we live this out? First, we learn. We learn. We learn about our community. We learn about the lives of our coworkers and, and our neighbors. We can't go to work with someone and never not know about their life or what's going on. We learn about the history of our communities. We, we understand where people are at, and how they got there. Do you know the issues that, that, that are faced by, by your, those in your workplace and in your neighborhood? We take prayer walks in our neighborhood. Second, we listen. You know, the Samaritan's heart 
and his eyes and his ears were open. And just like Jesus, we need to be ready and we need to be attentive to all the needs around us. When we talk to others in conversation, we listen to the Holy Spirit. We, we read in between the lines. And our posture should be one of expectant living, expecting that God is going to bring situations and people our way. He will use those who say they are available for him. Amen? And lastly, as a church, and as followers of Christ, we are called to respond. When we see opportunities of kindness, we take them. We free up our schedules. We get involved in our community, in our workplaces, in our schools. We roll up our sleeves and we get our hands dirty. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. We respond. So with that, as we move into a time of worship, I just want to challenge you and think, what inconveniences is God calling you into? Because what at first may seem like an inconvenience of kindness, once you step in, it opens a door to the kingdom of God to be made present on this earth. And when you see that and when you experience that and when you live that kind of life, your life makes sense. Your mission makes sense. Your purpose makes sense. Your faith makes sense. And you see what this is all about, what the gospel of Jesus is all about. So as we focus on that, and then the Holy Spirit works on us to develop a spirit of kindness. Let us worship together. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.